Hello, and welcome to the Interest Center podcast, where we connect with experts and innovators in theological education around topics important to theological school leaders. Thank you for joining us. Hello, I'm Annie Glandon, and today's episode is part of a series of conversations with experts who are sharing their experiences in consulting and theological education. I am joined by our guest, Dr. Carla Maxwell-Ray, whose consulting practice focuses on campaigns, major donor development, and fundraising assessments. A little bit more about Carla. She serves as Senior Generosity Strategist with Generis. Her expertise includes generosity coaching, fundraising, board development, and nonprofit management. She authored Five Pillars of a First-Class Life, A Guide to Financial Freedom and Mission-Driven Living. Carla now works with our country's largest churches, powerful medium and small churches, seminaries and schools, and other nonprofits, coaching them through campaigns and fundraising initiatives. Carla has an honorary Doctor of Humane Letters from Hood Theological Seminary, holds an MBA from the University of Delaware, and graduated valedictorian from Lincoln University with a BA in Public Affairs. We are so pleased to have her with us on the podcast. Thank you for being here, Carla. Well, thank you, Annie. I am just so pleased to be here among and trust and to elevate our ability to activate our boards, to get out there and be our ambassadors and help us bring in resources. Thank you so much. We're so excited. So let's start talking about your work as Senior Generosity Strategist with Generis where you consult on, as I mentioned, donor development, assessing fundraising operations, also interim leadership and campaigns, among other areas. And something that we often talk about in our work at the Interest Center with boards is how do you get board members energized and interested in helping with fundraising? Can you say a word about that? Absolutely. Being a board member is supposed to be an enjoyable and fulfilling experience and connecting board members, I would say, number one, to their passion and to their purpose. Aligning with the mission of the organization is very important. Second, where do they really enjoy doing the work? So find out their unique talents, find out their competencies, but really, what do they enjoy accomplishing? and really pin them, point, point them in that direction. Third, and I would start this, Annie, is set clear expectations. So in the recruitment process, set clear expectations. And a handbook or a resource portal, online portal, set clear expectations. And third, do a strategy, an individualized plan for each board member so that they understand what are they going to do and accomplish this year and how you're going to help them and how they're going to help the nonprofit. So setting those clear expectations is really important. And last is peer leadership examples. So your board chair, your development committee chair, just really have some board members that can set the pace. I remember when many of us went to college as freshmen, we were connected to an upperclassman that was a model student. So this is what we're going to do with our boards. 
we're going to connect them with board members who are doing the work. Thank you for that. And this may touch on partially what you had just shared, but what would you say are the responsibilities of individual board members in fundraising for the school? And then secondly, do you believe that board members typically understand the expectations for their role in fundraising? Well, you heard me start setting those expectations. So yes, from now forward, everyone that's listening will set those expectations. But let's talk specifically about what is an effective board member? How does how does that uh, work? Now, there are about 10 expectations slash effective barometers of effective board members. And I'm just going to highlight the few, and I should say more than the majority, that deal with fundraising. So first is the organizational mission and purpose. So there needs to be alignment. Another is the financial oversight. So the board member is responsible for financial oversight to make sure that there's accountability. And also, they have to make sure that there are adequate resources. So resourcing is all about fundraising and philanthropy. So we celebrate that. And then the board members also have to maintain integrity in the systems. High ethical standards are really important and also legal standards. Reporting to donors and activities such as that is so important, even though the staff does it, but the board member actually needs to be, to make sure it's being done. And then this whole process of recruiting new board members. It's something that we celebrate, we enjoy because we're bringing in a power horse of board members that will help us achieve our, achieve our objectives. And the current board members are, are largely responsible for that process. And lastly, I'd like to reinforce that the board members are overseeing, not in a micromanagement type way, but overseeing the chief executive officer, the president, the CEO, the executive director. So holding the lead staff accountable is so important. That's great advice. Thank you. And just along the lines of that question, I wanted to ask in your experience, have you witnessed any barriers or challenges for boards to play a part in fundraising for the school? Absolutely, Annie. The, the barriers in fundraising are many. However, I'll just highlight those most typical that we can anticipate and plan for. And the good news is that my clients work with me to actually integrate techniques to overcome these particular barriers. One is the fear of asking. Many board members don't want to solicit. Two is occasionally board members have a short-term focus. They're not looking at sustainability or the long-term health of the organization. Three, wrong tactics. And I'm going to revisit that a little bit later. But some of the actual activities that board members encourage, like mass appeals and lots of events, may undermine the efforts of the fundraising effort, um, operation. 
Four, uh, not becoming involved. Five, is some board members so financially insecure? Uh, they're just not stable or they have significant debt. So they're not able to give and therefore they hesitate to connect their friends. Some board members are able to give and they still hesitate to connect their friends. <laughs> and then those board members, they're just simply not generous. They're not philanthropic and they don't care to be. And lastly, I would say the board members have not bought in to the vision. They don't align with it. It doesn't set their passion on fire. So all those are reasons why. Thank you. And we've certainly heard uh, a couple of, of those reasons in our, our work with schools as well. Yes. So you've talked a little bit about responsibilities of the board and, and some challenges to fundraising. Ideally, how can boards be involved in fundraising outside of personal giving? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. First is, of course, involving those people that you know. So conducting introductions, bringing them closer to the nonprofit, and just really extending your circle of influence and leveraging it for the health and wellness of the nonprofit or the school. And then just reviewing the active list of donors saying, oh, yes, this person is connected. And I know this about that person. Also, serving on a committee is so important. And board members really can offer their talents and competencies in many ways. Participation at fundraising events is key. Having a board member actually speak or express why they invest will inspire others. And then really making sure that we adhere to the code of conduct for the organization and for giving. Board members are ambassadors. And as ambassadors, they're put up front and making sure that there's a positive conversation regarding the school, regarding the organization is so important. And building trust among your peers on the board, being confidential and those heated discussions that may occur occasionally also helps in expanding the fundraising umbrella. At the Interest Center, we've heard a lot of discussion among schools about online fundraising and, and other strategies, especially now after COVID. In your experience, do you think that online fundraising is effective? Absolutely, yes, <laughs> and even more effective. And if I may share some statistics with you, higher education institutions had a 13.6% increase in online giving over the past year. And then we look at K through 12 education and those institutions increased almost 12% in the last year. So online giving is increasing. And for the last couple of years, I mean, really, it was record setting in 2020, but it has been continuing to increase. And then we look at faith-based organizations. If we segment faith-based organizations, there's been a 9.5% increase in giving. And then we look at the strength and the power, the market share of online giving. Do you know it comprises almost 17% of total giving? 
for these organizations. So absolutely, yes. And as a follow-up question, what fundraising strategies in general for theological schools do you think could be most effective or are most effective? Effective could be defined in different ways. One is return on investment, ROI. So individual giving averages over the last decade or so, 70% of giving. And much of that are these major gifts. So having individual giving as a focus is very important. But I say to you, don't forget the foundations because foundations are showing up at 19% of all gifts made last year. I mean, there has been record-breaking giving consistently over the last couple of years. It's one of the impacts of COVID and the racial unrest as far as being positive on the distribution of giving. And these grants are made by independent or community or operating foundations. In fact, giving by foundations increased 15.6% last year. And let me just share with you an optimal mix for a seminary. I would recommend that seminaries have 70% of their resourcing from individuals, and that includes donor advised funds, family foundations, trust, et cetera. 20% come from foundations and a little bit of corporations. Corporations set a record this year, which was a shock. And, um, and so going after those corporate dollars, especially those local businesses, is important. And then 10% for bequest. Yes, you must do the bequest, the plan giving. Food for thought for our members. Thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. I also wanted to talk with you a little bit about campaigns, because I know that that's an area that you work with institutions and others on. So from an institutional leadership perspective, what considerations do you think should guide planning for a capital campaign? Well, if you look at a capital campaign, it has three phases. The first is preparation. The second is quiet. And the third is public. And it sort of says, you know, preparing for the campaign. But one of the things that most seminaries need to do is a feasibility study with your top donors. Now, this isn't just finding out how much potentially the donor could commit, but it's also finding out their circle of influence, who they believe should be involved. What is their confidence level in the leadership? And would they be our ambassador or would they be a silent participant? Next, I would say that uh, you need to build a strong case. So a case of support is the vision with some money. <laughs> so, so we test the case in the feasibility study with the top donors, and then we take their feedback and do the final ca the case. And we need outside counsel, especially uh, during this, since COVID, uh, just to uncover and test and have those com uh, confidential conversations. So those are the key things for launching a campaign. And what three things 
would you say to seminary leadership who are interested in starting a comprehensive campaign? Mm. Yeah, you really are building an umbrella of trust and respect. So the first thing I would say is build trust. Do what you say you're going to do better than you say you're going to do it and deliver on time. So build trust. The second, and I alluded to these numbers earlier, is strengthen your major gift program. And thirdly, it's a caveat. Protect your operating budget by having a strong annual fund. Those are the three things. Trust, major gifts, and annual giving. For someone who may, for a school, let's say, that has never engaged a consultant or counsel around this type of of issue um, or activity, what advice do you have for them in general? Just getting started. I would say go for a referral. So talk to a colleague in the industry that has worked with the firm. Also make sure that the firm uh, has certifications like CFRE, that the fundraisers have signed off to the ethical standards of CFRE. And thirdly, I would say that they have proven successful experience with a like entity. Now, it doesn't have to be ge- geographically, but an entity such as a K-12 through school or a seminary. So you want uh, some proven success stories. I also wanted to get into another area of work that you offer, and that is donor acquisition and donor care. Can you speak a little bit to that and then also share how can the board be a part of that? Well, in 2020, donor acquisition was record setting, double digits. It was tremendous the way people who had never given before were just supporting our organization. Last year, donor acquisition fell, but the good news is donor retention increased. So I would say to a nonprofit, to a school, seminary, is look at all those first-time donors. They are raising their hand and saying they trust you and want to invest in you. Don't look at the amount as much, even though I will whisper we can do wealth screening to see the capacity of the individuals. But look at the potential and then segment and do donor care. Now, offer the opportunity, this is a little tip here, offer the opportunity within 90 days of the initial gift for the person to upgrade their gift. Also, it is really important for sustainability and for funding purposes that we convert a large percentage of those new donors to recurring donors. Put them on a path so that they can become recurring donors. I wanted to also talk about uh, general trends. You've been doing this work for a long time, and I wanted to talk about looking ahead. What should boards be thinking about or planning for as it relates to these areas that we've been discussing? So when we look at boards, boards 
mainly, especially in seminaries, are individuals or people, pastors or leaders in the church. And individual giving still rules, even though, yes, giving through the church is important and something that we as seminary leaders and administrators depend on. So focus more and more on individual giving, cultivating those relationships. Mega gifts are still happening. It is shocking that we still hear about those huge major gifts and particularly those mega, mega gifts. A trend that has increased significantly since 2017 when the tax laws changed are donor advised funds. So if you give money to your church and or a nonprofit, it is great to establish a donor advised fund after talking to your CPA. Now, if you are a nonprofit, you have to be well-versed in donor advised fund because they are not any going anywhere. Another trend that I'd like to just mention are the hybrid meetings. So we, of course, went virtual all of a sudden completely. Now we're having meetings and events and they're bouncing back and the in-persons are bouncing back. But a very effective way is to have, to reach the largest number of people is to have the hybrid where you have the virtual presence and the in-person presence because donor preference is key. We talked about donor retention and I cannot describe or emphasize even enough how important it is because it's about 10 times more costly to acquire a donor than to retain them. So retain the donors that you got and convert them to your recurring donors. Celebrate them, really show the impact that they're having. The last thing I'd like to mention is the economic factors. So I'm talking specifically, yes, the 40 year high in inflation. I'm talking about the gross domestic product, the stock market. Understand how they impact your donors and how they impact giving. The correlation between the two, not to mention the pandemic and the racial injustice. So all those issues have implications on philanthropy. And the last point that I'd like to make is 2020 was an outlier year, record-breaking for most of us. People saved a lot of money, but 2020 is not your benchmark. I'm not saying forget about it. I'm just saying we're returning to stability and people call it a new normal. I don't know about all that, but I just call it that we're stabilizing. <laughs> <laughs> but it looks very different. But the good news is that we can forecast and plan and expect some things. So all that is good news. And I am so enjoying this conversation. But as we are wrapping up our conversation today, I wanted to ask, what would you say is a question or an idea that boards should be thinking 
about or asking themselves as a result of listening to today's conversation? Well, you got to give me more than one. (laughs) Please, more than one would be fantastic. So how will the impact of these economic trends, like the stock market, the personal disposable income, inflation, et cetera, how will it impact giving? So understand that and know that it will impact giving. Second, how can I propel my school or a nonprofit to increase levels of funding through my network and personal investments? So look at your network, um, Mr. and Mrs. (laughs) and Ms. board member. Look at your network and see how you can spread the good news about your nonprofit. Where can you, as a board member, be most effective in helping resource the vision that you gave a stamp to? And lastly, how can we as board members become more generous and help propel and spread a philanthropic culture that's aligned with God's word? So ask yourself those questions and then go for it and take action. You heard it here. Go for it and take action. I wanted to thank you again, Carla, for spending time with me to talk about your work and for all of the great advice for theological school leaders that you share today. So on behalf of the Interest Center, thank you. Thank you very much. You are welcome, Annie. I am grateful to come and really just encourage board members to lean in and just do the fundraising that's required. And just a couple of things to consider. Those economic indicators are important. Individual giving does rule. Hybrid events are here to stay. Foundations are a key component now with 19% of the fundraising mix. Campaigns have received record-breaking results. So you can embark upon those ambitious campaigns. And contact me at Carla at Generis.com. There's a whole team, Total Advancement Solutions, that's ready to serve you and your needs. Thank you again. I have been with Carla Maxwell Ray of Generis, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Interest Center podcast. For more information about this podcast and other episodes, and for additional resources, visit intrust.org.